All right, we have Guillaume and Tiago. They're two listeners from France who don't know each other, as far as I know, and they're on to talk about the terrible situation that happened yesterday in Paris. So welcome to the show, guys. And just sort of, before we get into a future reference, this uh, yesterday was, of course, November 13th, which probably will go down as France's 9-11, when a series of uh, eight assassins and terrorists um, of the apparently Muslim persuasion um, killed um, over a hundred Parisians in a series of um, seven coordinated attacks. So, just putting that in the framework. Uh, how are you guys doing tonight? Hi, Stefan. Uh, hi. Uh, I hi. Um, I'm staying home right now. I mean, I know people are shocked, but I think most people are just staying home. Everything's closed down. I'm not exactly scared. I'm just kind of uh, angry, I guess, at the situation. It's disappointing in many ways to see some, to see the country in in this state. I mean, that's what I think. I don't know about Guillaume. Yeah, I'm shocked uh, and horrified too. So, about what happened yesterday. Uh, how did you guys first find out about it? Um, my sister, my sister called me because she she said that she almost went to the Bataclan uh, yesterday, and so and so that's that's how I learned. And then did she? She down. almost went to see you at what Eagles of Death Metal. She went to go and see that concert. She almost went yesterday. I mean, wow, before yesterday. Okay, okay. But then. That's why why she knew. And Guillaume, how about you? And a friend of mine called me because one of his students died yesterday and she was at the concert hall and he knew about it because uh, his students called him early and they told him what happened. And so he called me after and said, um, you should be careful, go home and stay safe. Right. And what were your feelings when you first... We'll get into thoughts and all that. And just what were the feelings that you had? Anger. Yeah, anger. Anger. I think the the thing is like uh, comparing to uh, January with Charlie Hebdo. uh, Yesterday, young people were targeted. And it wasn't like um, a newspaper. It was more like young people having fun, going out. And I think they tried to terrorize young people and just kills people like cowards, I guess. Yeah, I mean, going going to where everyone's disarmed and having fun um, and they apparently had time to reload and be relatively patient and cold and methodical about it. Uh, that is not exactly a fair fight. Although, of course, I'm sure that from the other side, we'd hear that drone strikes are not exactly fair fights either. Yeah, 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 definitely. And what's, I mean, obviously speaking for a whole country is impossible, but just in terms of friends and family and people that you've talked to, what's, uh, what's the mood like in France tonight? Uh, people try to put words on what happens, but they are kind of confused 
I mean, for the people I know, they just don't really understand why it's happening to us, pretty much. Right. On my side, people are um, saying that uh, we are at war now, and I think people are more resolute and single-minded, and I think they think we have to fight and to try to resist against that, I guess. And when people talk about fighting, because, of course, the uh, president, Hollande, is also talking about this, that they're going to bring the fight to ISIS and so on. What do people what, what do you think people mean when they talk about, OK, well, we're now at war and this is a fight. Uh, what do you think they're 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 meaning by that? Honestly, I'm not exactly sure. It feels like people are saying, oh, well, we get to do the same thing as the Americans did in two in 2001. I mean, the, that's my opinion, but I think people don't exactly understand what's happening. And the president reacted like that because he knows that his popularity is very, very, very low right now. So by acting like a very authoritarian figure, he can get some points in the polls. Yeah, and of course there is this general perception that if you know, as as we've just we're just putting a show together, literally during this show, but um, that ISIS warned the French government and the French people yeah. in a French language video, as you probably know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That if they joined in the American-led bombing in Syria, that there would be repercussions from terrorists already embedded within France. And of course, one of these terrorists appears to have been confirmed to have come through from. Syria in the last month. So could he exactly say, well, you know, they did warn us and we did go ahead. So this is the price of our policy. They have to pretend that they're shocked and appalled and that they are going to uh, strike back at the innocent blah, blah, blah. Right. Yeah. I think people are not going to be more gung ho to go at war against Syria or against Libya. But I think People know that we have people inside the country willing to die for a cause and that we have to work hard to identify the people and to fight against them. But I think people have this um, sense that we have a threat within our country and that we have to fight it. Yeah, that's what I was thinking as well is that for January, people thought, oh, it's just isolated. It's not going to happen again. Or like if, if we don't draw pictures of the profit, then, you know, if we're not engaged in that kind of activity, then we're not as much of a threat, right? Exactly. Yeah, and now we have like eight people doing gunning down people. And now people are, are seeing that it's not going to go away by itself at all. It's, right. it's going to stay and and it will happen again unless we... We do something. Ah, yes. The do something part. That's yeah. always, always exactly. the tricky part from there, right? Yeah. <laughs> because, of course, the... and um, What is the media talking about? I mean, obviously, there's, 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 a, there's a quote, shock and horror and so on. But is the media looking at any root causes? Is the media... What's the media... What's the media's perspective? Are they talking at all about solutions? Or is it mostly, you know, grieving and anger at the moment? I think it's mostly grieving and anger at the moment, and they're reporting as much as possible about the leads the police have, about possible uh, suicide bombers, 
Um, so I think it's mostly about what's going on at the moment. Uh, it, they might go into um, the causes, the profound causes uh, that I've provoked uh, this event yesterday. But I think at the moment it's mostly about grieving and anger. And have you guys, uh, sorry, you were going to say, Tiago? I was going to say more more grieving than anger. I mean, if they start uh, heating up the flames of anger, they know that it's going to have a, reper- a repercussion on certain populations in France. So I think right now this, they're grieving, trying to, I mean, mostly it's just, gathering information right now just gathering information as much as they can listening to what the officials are saying that's it and is the um i know that the state of emergency can last up to almost two weeks the lockdown in terms of stay inside has that been lifted um it's it's not a an order. It's more like a recommendation. You can go outside and you can really go outside. There's no nothing that says that you should not. You are not allowed to go outside. But um, yes, there's no curfew actually. So yeah. you can go outside okay. if you want to. It's more like people. Uh, the police have recommended people to stay inside. Yeah. And I think today the city was like a ghost city. Because most people stayed inside with their families. But if you want to, you can just go outside. Right. Right. Now, when it comes to relations with, obviously, there's a, what, 66 million people in France and it's estimated six and a half million Muslims. Um, are the, is the Muslim community, um, is it saying anything? Uh, is it putting anything out there? I know that some of the Muslim governments have condemned the attack for what it's worth. And uh, what are the Muslims in France? Have you heard anything? Are they kind of laying low? Or what's what's the reaction at the moment? Well, it's the same reaction as in January, which kind of annoys me. It's the Padamalgam saying that, oh, not all Muslims are terrorists, which is true, but it's more... I I think people are starting to be angered by that. Yes, I agree with Thiago. I think people are getting tired of um, Muslims not standing up and speaking up against the jihadists. And I think the Muslim community has been too quiet about it. And they haven't said anything specific about what happened yesterday. So it's a bit annoying not to hear anything from them. And they haven't had much time to respond, but I think uh, they have to choose their words very carefully because last January there was already uh, lashbacks at Muslims after the the terrorist attack, but now there's going to be even more repercussions. And if they don't choose the wo- their words carefully, they're going to have a lot of problems. Well, and, you know, you could make the case, of course, that after a certain number of terrorist, quote, incidents, of which I think there's been, what, 200 recently uh, in in France as a whole, uh, after you've had a certain number of incidents, I'm not sure that there's a lot of words that can really make it better, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I mean, in a way, like, because 
Muslims say not all Muslims are like that. And I understand that, and I think it's true, obviously. But the thing is, like, sometimes they, it seems that they're a bit too quiet and they should speak up a bit more and be able to condemn what some extremists do. And I think they should be more loud about it, in a way. Right. I'm sorry, I just wanted to correct that. Uh, there were 225 arrests in France for offenses related uh, to terrorism. That's as of 2013. Um, Spain is the next highest at 90. So, um, you know, more than more than double that, almost two and a half. Uh, and the, in 2013, 152 terrorist attacks in five EU member states, majority in France at 63. And again, almost double that of Spain, 33 and uh, the UK, 35. And um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Well, what what can they say? Now, the reality is, I'll just, you know, share my two th- cents on, on this and get you guys' thoughts about it. I mean, without a doubt, the vast majority of Muslims are not terrorists. But I don't think that's the point. Yeah. Of course, if all Muslims were terrorists, it would be a whole lot easier, right? <laughs> don't let them into your country, right? I mean, so the fact that only some Muslims are terrorists is uh, is a problem. The issue is not, are all Muslims terrorists? The issue is... What is the proportion of terrorists in the Muslim community compared to, say, the white Belgium community or the Japanese community or the John community or the Buddhist community? And the answer is quite a bit higher, if not Mm. numbers compared to zero. And the analogy that I use is, uh, of course, with six and a half million Muslims in France, even if only one out of a thousand is a terrorist, that's 65,000 terrorists. That's enough to bring down a civilization. And so even if we say the numbers mm-hmm. are very small, they're higher relative to any other population. You know, like Western countries have their pick and choice of who comes because the Western countries are very much in demand as places to move to. And so to me saying, well, not all Muslims are like that is extraordinarily true. Okay, fine. But compared to what? I mean, can you imagine if there were a million Scottish people who were living in France that everybody would be in terrified of having like haggis fired through their forehead or something? It wouldn't be the case. There are, you know, 15% of the French people say they have a positive attitude towards ISIS. That's almost 10 million people. And so, okay, well, maybe it's a small minority of Muslims who have these particular sentiments, but it's infinitely more than the number of Irish people who have these sentiments who are living in France. And, and that, to me, is the issue. And the analogy, of which was used by feminists earlier with regards to male aggression, the analogy is, okay, you've got a bowl and you've got 100 M&Ms. And in those 100 M&Ms, there's one unidentifiable, deadly, poisonous M&M. And that's one bowl. On another bowl, you have 100 M&Ms where there is no poisonous M&M. And you could say, well, you know, the difference between these two is only one. It's like, no, the difference between these two is night and day. Because nobody's going to sit there and say, yeah, I'll just grab a handful from one or a handful from the other. It doesn't really matter to me. Because if one has only one fatal, 1% is one fatal M&M versus 0% in another bowl, that is a huge difference. It's, it's really the difference between night and day. And the fact that the one M&M, if, 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 you, if someone said, well, all these M&Ms are poisonous in this bowl and all these M&Ms in this bowl are not poisonous, that'd be easy. You don't eat any, right? But so the fact that there's very few 
to me is still a, an absolute night and day difference between one poisonous M&M in a bowl and no poisonous M&Ms in a bowl. So this idea, well, not all, not all the M&Ms are poisoned. It's like, I'm not sure that makes it better in, in many ways. It actually makes it more camouflaged. Yeah, it's true. I, I think people have the feeling that um, there is a threat and what's hard to um, acknowledge is that the threats can come at any time. So it's very, um, people are fearful, I guess. Um, I think that it's quite spot on, but the, the issue is how we manage that kind of population and I think the government has a lot to a lot of responsibility for that that we don't um, culturally speaking we don't um, take care educate the citizens of France properly in my opinion that's why we're in this situation where we have external terrorists who come here and then we have a population of Muslims but the second generation Muslims in France have a lot of issues with the government not, um, especially in the banlieue which is around uh, Paris where we have a huge amount of people that are getting that are becoming pretty much radicals right now in it's not getting better in any way. Well, there's no integration in these no-go zones, right? Where you have got this welfare biosphere, this welfare moat around the people. Because if you move to a country without a welfare state, you have to kind of get involved in the economic day-to-day -day life of that country, which means getting integrated to some degree into the culture. But bringing people with different languages, different religions, different cultures, different histories and in many ways oppositional histories, and then building a welfare moat around them seems to me guaranteed to create an island of discontent and hostility that can't possibly integrate into the mainstream society. Yeah, yeah definitely. I think um, 10 years ago, there was an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal that said Paris is burning. It was about the riots in Paris. And I think it's terrible to see that we have been unable to cope with this problem for many years and there doesn't seem to be any solution in the short term. So how we're going to be able to deal with it, I think is going to be the main question for the next few years. Well, and of course the media is going to talk about expanded government powers and programs and the government is going to talk about expanded powers and programs. And of course, I'm sure you guys know my particular perspective that the first thing that should be done. And I'm again, I'm not a big policy guy, but if I had the ring of power, so to speak, you simply close down the welfare state for non-natives. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, but yeah. we have a lefty government, so... <laughs> Maybe not for long, <laughs> right? That, uh, I mean, the argument that the FN could come to power, I don't really believe that could happen for for very specific reasons. And many people think the same thing in France. So, okay, just, just for those outside of France, Le Pen, and this really bothers me, uh, not, not what you guys are saying, but they're always referred to as a far-right party. 
And I've yet to see Bernie Sanders referred to as a far left candidate or the NDP in Canada, which is the semi-socialist party, as a far left. You never hear about the far left. But the moment that somebody's talking about cultural identity and nationalism and keeping France for the French and so on, suddenly it's the far right, which, of course, is supposed to bring up images of jackboots and Nazis and fascism, just all this. kind. I just really wanted to put that out there, that this is how people are programmed to have an automatically negative response to parties like La Pen. Uh, because uh, they are, Le Pen is doing fairly well, as far as I understand it, in terms of the polling. And, and this uh, does kind of play right into their perspective, if I understand it correctly. Well, if you want a, an example, in two weeks, there's the regional elections. And now they're completely, f- they, they're fucked. I mean, there's no other word. The, I mean, not them, but I'm f- talking about the op- the government. The PS, which is the government um, right now, the Socialist Party is completely. They they even want to uh, unite with the right party to fight the uh, Le Pen, which doesn't make sense because because if you fuse <laughs> the left and the right, well, there's no left and right. Does just well. <laughs> What you're saying, it doesn't make sense from any principled position, but it makes perfect sense if you're addicted to political power and will do anything and sell your own grandmother's kidney to keep it, right? Yeah. Most, yeah. A lot of people joke about that because they 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 already think that the UMP, uh, it's not called the UMP anymore. Now they're called the Republicans, which is funny enough because of the American party called Republicans. Right. So now we have re- the Republic in France means something quite different from the Republic in America. Yeah, oh, yeah, I heard. But now we have people think that the socialists and the Republicans are already the same party because they have the they they have seemingly different policies and then they get elected and they have the same policies as the other one, the other party. Oh yeah, no, I get that. In two thousand two, Le Pen almost got elected um, for the presidentials and it wasn't even her daughter which is leading the party now but he her father which was really 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 special and it passed on the first round of votes and then everyone started saying oh no fascism we have to oppose that and everyone voted for the party that was against Le Pen. And now people are saying that it's, since it's going to happen again in 2017, it's, it's, they're pretty much saying, well, it's not very democratic because whoever is against Le Pen is going to win anyways. So if the Republicans win and pass on the first round on, on, of votes and they get against Le Pen, then they have to win because Le Pen cannot be elected ever. That's just a general sentiment. So the media and the celebrities and, of course, the existing politicians all come out in one jackbooted march to supposedly push back the robot evil Nazi reanimated fascists from the past. And it just becomes a very much a sort of like a witch hunt or a... Um, exactly. Uh, yeah, okay, okay. And I think it's possible to draw a comparison between Donald Trump in the U.S. and Le Pen in France, because 
both can speak the, their mind freely and they don't care about the media and about um, yeah everything about uh, around the media so they can speak their minds and I think people like that because they're able to listen to people who want to speak and who are ready to speak up and I think that's why uh, Le Pen has got the respect of the parts of the French people because even though people might not agree with him or with her um, they might think okay at least she says she speaks her mind and we respect that. Well, and of course, the people on the left uh, who have been promoting diversity and multiculturalism and the joys of cultural enrichment from all four corners of the earth, I think that to some degree, the narrative is showing a few cracks, to, to put it as nicely as possible. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, they are, they are backing off. We, we can well, see yeah, that of course, now, the great though, thing about the great right. thing about the left is the great thing about the left is they'll back off very briefly and then they'll just return as if nothing has happened and almost dare you to present them with any facts. At which point they'll just call you racist again. But but the Donald Trump thing is interesting. Uh, Ann Coulter, an American writer and political commentator, tweeted this last night uh, during the as the news was rolling in from France about these attacks, she said, they can wait if they like until next November for the actual balloting. But Donald Trump was elected president tonight. And um, that's pithy. Uh, and, and if you compare this to Obama's statement that ISIS is contained and on the run and we're winning and all that kind of stuff, I think um, I've said this for many years, that um, that white sort of Western European culture is very nice and very accommodating until it's not and then it's really not and there's kind of like a switch uh it's sort of like uh, if you've ever had someone in your life you know you've lent a lot of money to you've really tried to help out and they keep promising that they're going to change i don't know if you've ever had i certainly have where you're like oh, i really want to help this person oh, i really want to help this person wait a minute i think they're just taking advantage of me and it's like this switch goes off and suddenly, like, no amount of appeal can, can change your mind. I don't know if you guys have ever experienced that in your personal lives. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think that can happen culturally as well. Um, you know, when that, with the, you know, the old the saying, the straw that breaks the camel's back, you know, just one too many of these things. And the general native Western white French population will be quite decisive and no longer appealable too, if that makes sense. Well, yes, it does. And, and, and I think people have been very submissive for many years. And I think with what happened yesterday, this might change. And I want to give you an example. Like yesterday, there was a guy who was in the concert hall in the Bataclan. And he said, if I had had a gun, I could have defended myself. And he said, we were like sitting ducks in the concert hall when the jihadists attacked. And I think people are starting to think that if they can defend themselves, uh, maybe things could change. So th there might be a change and people might be less submissive than before, if it makes sense. Yeah. Um, I think that we are reaching a boiling point where I think if there's one more terrorist attack, we might have a something big that might that might happen to the government and i'm talking about not a civil war but something as big as 
what happened in 2005 with the riots, except that it will only happen in Paris and it will be much bigger. Yeah. Right. And now, I'm sorry, you were about to say something? No, it's okay. No, 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 no. Yeah, I mean, the real, the real civil war to me, and again, we're using these not in terms of like guns in the street in general, but the, the, the war between ideas, which is kind of what I was promoting in the video that I put out yesterday, which is within families, among friends, in work colleague situations, uh, the people that you see socially and so on, my big encouragement is let's just have a fact-based discussion about these realities you know some of the sources unconfirmed but some of the sources that we've looked at here say that 80 percent of the muslim immigrant population is on welfare a guy we had on the show recently who was talking about middle eastern refugees in the u.s on average east each middle eastern refugee resettled in the united states costs an estimated sixty four thousand three hundred and seventy dollars in the first five years or more than a quarter million dollars per household. That money's got to come from somewhere. And that's from Stephen Camerata, the director of research at the Center for Immigration Studies. Now, as U.S. refugees, I'm sure the numbers are not wildly dissimilar in, um, in Europe. And so just these fact-based discussions, okay, it's not a very freedom-friendly culture, right? Because if you look at the Islamic countries, they don't tend to rank enormously high on personal liberties, rights for women, political liberties, freedom of association. And of course, they rank non-existent in separation of church and state. And so it's not that compatible a culture, to put it mildly. Um, and there is a state of war between the West and the Middle Eastern countries. If you look at the amount of intervention that's gone on over the past 50 or 60 years, if you look at the amount of arming of existing governments, if you look at the numbers of bombs dropped, if you look at the number of troops stationed, uh, you know, Libya, Syria, uh, Iraq, uh, Iraq uh, Saudi Arabia, the number of troops stationed, the amount of interventions, the amount of bombs dropped, it is a state of war. And I think, like, I can't think of a time in history when a continent that is at a state of war accepts refugees from the place it's at war with. <laughs> that is like, that is, I, I'm trying to put parallels to this in my brain. Like England is at war with Germany in 1940 and 2 million young German men want to claim asylum in England. <laughs> I mean, they shoot them in the water. I'm not saying that would be the proposed or best solution, but it is really deeply shocking when you compare this to basic trends and facts throughout history, I cannot think of a single time when a continent at war with another group of countries accepts refugees from those countries during a time of hostilities. Um, I, I, it's, it's, I mean, you know, after Pearl Harbor, I mean, the Americans put a lot of Japanese Americans into constant, like into these concentration camps, which of course were not the equivalent of what happened in Germany, but in confinement camps. And the idea that two million hardy young Japanese men want to come and settle in the United States because they don't like the way what's mm. going on in the war, the idea that the Americans would say, sure, not only can you come in, but we're going to give your family a quarter million dollars worth of value over the next five years. Come on in while we're still at war. I mean, it's, it, it literally is. And, uh, you know, in the future, they'll look back at this time in history and they will actually check our bodies for like 
intelligence-eating brain parasites or (laughs) spine-eating neurological parasites. Like, they literally will not be able to even remotely understand how this kind of cultural suicide could possibly have occurred and people discuss it with a straight face. Well, I think uh, I have two. um, You you raised a really good point, and I have a friend who made the comparison. I'm not sure he's right, but we have we have had a lot of religious issues in France, and he said that what's happening, well, before we were more like Henry of Navarre, which uh, was a Protestant who converted to Catholicism to be the rule of ruler of France, so he was really uh, tolerant. And then now we're coming to Louis the Fourteenth, who just massacred. Uh, the Protestants and just completely just made Catholicism a main the thing that you will never get rid of. So we are getting to that boiling point again because at that time there was a lot of conflicts be- between the Catholics and the Protestants, and that's and then there's a second point which was. We're getting trapped by our own beliefs, which is, I'm not a Republican. Uh, I don't know if that's something I should talk about, because in France, uh, it's the issue which leads to why we can't have fact-based discussions, is that once you say something that's not um, acceptable, you're completely destroyed socially and it's even worse than in the US because I've been there and in France seriously there's no way to survive um, if you don't have the right kind of ideas on something socially you just cannot survive you can't hope of having a future uh, if you're not um, how do you call them Bien pensant, which multicultural, uh, tolerant, diverse, politically correct. Yeah, politically correct. Yeah. I think. Yeah, I think it's very it's... hard in France. Oh, politically correct. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Like if you if you stand aside from the crowd, it's very hard to survive. And being like um, a libertarian in France is crazy. Like um, it can drive you insane because people would react um, to the facts you would offer to them. And they would say, no, it's not true. And it's really hard to have um, a fact-based conversation in France. And there's so many uh, prejudices that it's so hard to go against the current. It's very hard. And I think, Stefan, you're right that there might be a shift and that people have been very tolerant about letting people in. And I think people with uh, now the, the Front National... Uh, they think that this might change and this should change. And I think too that people are getting tired of paying taxes for people who haven't paid anything in the system and they're getting welfare payments and subsidies. And I think so many people are getting tired of it and working hard. And now with what happened yesterday, I think this all mixes up and this might I don't know, produce a, a change, a shift in policy, if it makes sense. Yeah. No, I'm I, sorry, you were going to say? No, go ahead. 
Well, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> refugees is, is one of these words that is so emotionally evocative that if you accept it, you've kind of lost the debate, so to speak. It's like for the children, right? You know, it's like, mm. uh, I mean, if people are fleeing war, then who wouldn't want to help them? I mean, like refugees is just one of these words that if it's accepted, then the debate is over. And and this is why I think it's important to push back on this word refugee. Yeah. Because but... it's not, it's not particularly, it's not accurate in, in two ways. Number one, they're not fleeing war. Of course, the majority of the people in Syria are coming from the camps in Turkey where they're not currently being bombed or attacked or anything like that. So they're not fleeing war, even the Syrians who leave. Um, of course, the, the people are coming from 17, 18, 19 different countries in, in Africa and in the Middle East. And they're not going to the closest country, which is what they have to do. They're vaulting over countries to get to the countries with either the population that they want or the most beneficial welfare state or whatever it is. So they're not refugees. That's really and, – and the majority of the countries that these people are leaving from are not at war. So number one, they're not refugees. They're not fleeing bombs behind them and throwing themselves onto the shore of Greece you know, to escape the depth charges that are being thrown down by some military commander right behind them. Uh, they're not refugees. The second thing, of course, is that economically, the co correct term would be parasites, because they're not coming and generating wealth, income, and opportunities in their host country. They're coming, you know, again, whether we'll find out the real data, we'll, people can't blame me for some fuzzy data when France makes it illegal to collect this data. <laughs> but when four-fifths of them not only are not fleeing a war, but are coming and squatting on the neck of the French taxpayer, and that's not a refugee. A refugee, like they come in, they're incredibly grateful. They're like, hey, how can I uh, roll up their sleeves? Let me get to work. Uh, I don't want to take any benefits. You've already paid me enough by giving me a place to stay. Yeah. I mean, if, if I just, I can't imagine that, that I would leave someplace that I wasn't happy with, go move into someone's house, you know, put my feet up and then demand that they give me a quarter million dollars over five years or I'm going to riot. <laughs> uh, that to me would be completely incomprehensible. They're not refugees. And according to a lot of the dictums or dictates of certain Islamic approaches, they're invaders. And, and that, you know, they're demographic invaders. They're not fleeing a war and they're economic parasites. And unless we can have honest conversations, and people may say, well, that's harsh. No. You, you, this is this weird thing, and I'm not accusing you guys of this, of course, right? But this is weird thing where people get like, emo it's a triggering word. Get emo <laughs> the question is, is it accurate or not? You know, do do the Muslims consider it a a a um, a positive thing in their theology to go and spread Islam in other countries? Yeah, I have very prominent imams. Uh, this one in Norway, uh, in Norway, has said, you know, we're the ones that are going to change you. We're, we're going to outbreed you. We're going to outvote you. You know, you guys are only producing 1.4 kids per woman. We're going to do three and a half, and we're going to take you over in two generations. That's not a refugee. Not even technically that's not a refugee. That is a slow demographic time bomb invader who is only surviving in your country because of the forced redistribution of wealth. I have no problem with people coming into any particular geographical area I do have a huge problem, a huge moral problem with forced association. Forced association is a violation of freedom of association. Forced association in sexual matters is called rape. 
And I'm hugely against it, obviously. A hugely is a redundant phrase. And the fact that French people don't have the right to say, I don't want to give money to these people, is the major problem. Because that changes who comes. That changes the degree of adaptability. That changes the degree of integration. The fact that, forced, that, that, that French people are forced at gunpoint to hand over hundreds of thousands of dollars to these families is the fundamental problem. That these people coming into the country are stripping resources from French people's own children. And of course, when you give people lots of money, they tend to have more kids. And when you take lots of money away from people, they tend to have fewer kids, right? Whatever you subsidize, you increase. Whatever you tax, you decrease. And when you tax productivity and subsidize having children, then the smarter people and the more industrious and hardworking people and the more successful people will generally have fewer kids. And the people who are the least successful will have the most. So this whole welfare state thing is a fundamental process of eugenics, wherein people who have to some degree, and according to some experts, a stated goal to take over the country demographically, that French people are being forced to subsidize the breeding of people who have, as part of their ideology, the demographic takeover of France. And that's all we need to talk about is these basic facts. What comes out of it, I have no idea, obviously. I mean, I'm not French, and it's a big conversation. But, man, if you can't have these conversations, if you can't bring these facts to bear... If people just basically scream and, 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 and slander you or call you a racist or a xenophobe, whatever it is, right? it's, it's nonsense, right? If we can't have honest discussions about things, well, things go very, very badly indeed. Because in the absence of reason, when decisions have to be made, in the absence of reason, violence takes over from either side or both. Yeah. Sorry for the long speech, but I hope that no, makes sense. True. I think it's very true. And I think... Like in France, it's common to see immigrants in the streets with many children. And when you want um, for, for you, um, as a white person, to start a family, Paris is a very expensive city and it's very hard to start a family. And you walk in the streets and you see sometimes immigrants with five or six kids. And you're like, how is it possible uh, to have this? So, yeah, I think people might get angry about it. And um, hopefully this might change in the future. We'll see how it goes. Well, I I don't have a very optimistic view on what's going to happen, but people are just going to question that when they're on the back of the wall. I think one of my friends said people are just people will do something if you take away their their iPhones, internet, and food. That's all they care about nowadays. If you don't take do you that away, uh, they just. They've, do you think they've given up? Just that it's not that they've given up. They're they're like imagine you're going, you're walking in the street, and there's a there's a poster on the wall, and you're saying, "Wow, this is saying some really interesting things." That's really raising and a point that I've never thought about. And then you go home and you just turn on TV and you just forget about it, and it's like it never happened. It doesn't matter how smart you are. People, you're not going to reach people unless you take away things that are more interesting to them. And that's pretty much the situation in France to me. Right. Decadence. Yeah, yeah pretty much. That's, that's why uh, in January I went to the Republican walk, the huge thing with what, 3 million people? And I thought, oh, great, people are 
finally doing something. And then two days after that, they just stop and they start fighting about politics and right and left and saying, oh, the the issue is the far right gaining the gaining power. And then you just have another terrorist attack. And, oh, apparently the far right wasn't dangerous enough because, look, there's 150 people who just died. And apparently they weren't killed by Le Pen. So that's weird. If that right. makes sense. Right. And I think what's very frustrating too is that despite having several attacks on the French soil, nobody is questioning the French state. So basically in France, we have a very strong state and uh, the police and the, um, the services, the intelligence services, have many uh, snooping powers and they eavesdrop on many conversations. But despite having such a strong state, they haven't been able to um, prevent the attacks from happening. And the thing is, it's very frustrating because when you talk about it to people, people aren't questioning the states. They think, okay, they've done the best they could and they haven't been able to prevent it. And that's it. Well, I assume they've been able to prevent some. I mean, I assume that at least a few of the hundreds of people who are arrested for terrorism-related activities were actually doing something to do with terrorism. So that the chilling thing is that they may have stopped 10 of these, right? And and this is the amount of – and the amount of cost and expense of these kinds of things. I I don't mean to reduce this to dollars and cents because your life is more than money. But nonetheless, having said that – the expense of this kind of stuff, because the cost of, of culturally incompatible economic parasites flowing into your country by the millions and breeding like rabbits is not just the welfare costs. It's not even just the costs of driving up housing prices. It's not even just the costs of having more difficult educational situations where kids need to be educated and they don't speak the language and they don't. And, and it's complicated. You have to strip all values out of your education when you're mixing native French white population with Islamic kids. I mean, are you going to start talking about the glorious tradition of the separation of church and state and and, and how wonderful uh, freedom of association is and, and how great it is to have lots of rights for women? Are you going to I mean, what's gonna, these are all things that French kids would probably love to hear. But what's going to happen when those kids go home and talk to their Islamic parents about everything that's being taught in those schools? You have to rob your culture of any power to replicate itself in the next generation. And I think that nihilism, that lack of value, that lack... People growing up in these radically different, quote, multicultural, which is frankly cultural oppositional environments, educational environments, they grow up in these weird, spaced out, value neutral, can't talk about anything, certainly can't have any pride in your own culture. This is the weird paradox of multiculturalism that all but white Western Europeans and in particular males can have pride in their culture. You know, if you're if you're a white man and you're proud of your culture, well, you're obviously just some Nazi racist. But if you're a black man or a Muslim who's proud of his culture, good for you. (laughs) It's wonderful, right? This is double standard. But the price is not only the, the nihilism that is impressed upon the next generation because they can't ever be taught by their teachers about the glories of their civilization and its history because there are people in there who are going to get really upset and really offended and really angry about it and what teacher wants to take that kind of stuff on for 60 grand a year. Um, that's, but the price also 
that accrues is the cost of law enforcement is absolutely staggering. Like per 100,000 native French population are incarcerated at a rate of 32 or 33 per 100,000. I think it's north of 730 for Muslims. And the, the price of, of the additional prison industrial complex, the price of the court system, the price of the policing system, the lack of police availability to people who aren't Muslims because they're so busy dealing with Muslim criminality, the loss and seeding of particular sections of land to these no-go zones, which have effectively become not France to France people because people are too nervous to go, oh, yeah, Mike gave me the right number. So um, among non-Muslims, there's an incarceration rate of 34 per 100,000. For Muslims, it's 727.2. Muslims account for 70% of inmates in France's prisons. Their incarceration rate is over 21 times higher than the non-Muslim population. The cost of all of this, I mean, just think if if there was a culturally homogenous population in France, you wouldn't need, I mean, the welfare usage would be far lower. And the costs of enforcement, police, criminality, prisons and courts and all that would be far lower. Costs of education would be far lower. The enrichment of this uh, next generation in terms of the cultural values that have historically accrued to France would be a deep and meaningful and moving experience for them. You know, they play the Marseille and their eyes would well up with tears. They think of the glories of their culture and so on, which has some value. I sort of hate to grudgingly admit over time until we can replace it with philosophy, which ain't going to be tomorrow. The cost is just absolutely enormous. And I think that if this issue was not at the center, and this doesn't even account the emotional fear of, I mean, what is going to happen for the next year or two? You're sitting at a cafe, you know, and a scruffy guy from the Middle East wanders in in a winter jacket in spring. I mean, everybody's going to shit themselves. What, what is the price of that? What is the fear of that? And then everyone's going to be like, oh, I shouldn't feel this because that's racist. That's Islamophobic. And he probably and of course, he's probably just picking up a baguette. But so what? <laughs> Everybody's going to be like, what is the price of just shitting yourself when you're having your morning croissant baguette and latte? I'm French with the latte. <laughs> I mean, holy crap. I mean, what, what is the price of peace of mind? What is the price of security and comfort within your own country, within your own geographical area? What is, I mean, if, if the, the little things, again, I could go on. And I won't, but I could go on and on with this kind of stuff because people don't really recognize that they've lived in this multicultural melting face pot for so long. But if you have a kid and your kid gets into a conflict, like let's say you're some, you know, white French person and your kid gets into a conflict with another white French person's kid. Well, you go over to their house, you knock on the door and you talk it out. Right. I mean, yeah, because you all know each other, you understand each other and so on. If your kid gets into a conflict with a Muslim kid, I don't know if you're going to have exactly the same comfort level going over and having a wee chat about the issues. And um, the other thing, of course, that's great is that if you live in a more culturally homogenous area, the word racism, which is like the new word nigger, it's just like the worst thing that you can call someone. And it's liberally over pride, literally. But... If you live in a culturally or racially homogenous area, then you just you don't have to walk around in fear of being called a racist all the time, which is another one of these things like how much would it be of value to you in your life to not be afraid of somebody walking into a cafe, to not be afraid of being called a racist, to not have to think twice before engaging with someone in a conflict over your children's 
possibly negative uh, interactions and so on. I mean, these are very soft costs that people are just kind of getting inured to and don't even think about how life could be in the alternative. I think that um, people don't realize that it used to be like this, that France was a very, very, very patriotic country before. Even I think that we might have uh, inspired America on their education because we used to teach a lot of French values to the children. We used to teach them about the battles we've had. We we had won the wars. We had won the how we literally dominated over Europe for well over a century. Now we're pretty much the education some is summed up like oh well the French uh, surrendered in during World War Two and we also collaborated with for the Holocaust. So we killed like a few thousand Jews, so you should be ashamed because after that we tried to hide it and then there's the Algerian war and people are trying to kind of shame us for the Algerian war even though we haven't had like anything to do with it and well and I'm sorry sorry to interrupt you but I you know I've certainly made jokes about it myself just as I've made jokes about most cultures but I've also pointed out that it's really, really tough to talk about France in the Second World War without understanding that the significant majority of the First World War was fought on French soil. Yeah. yeah. And it is really, really hard to understand what happened in the Second World War without understanding the degree not only of trauma, bloodshed, the wholesale destruction of the most assertive or aggressive or what I would say case-selected French youth, French youth, in the First World War, 10 million people dead. The majority of that occurred on French soil. And if less than 20 years later, the same damn thing is happening again, I can certainly see why people are like, I don't know why we're going to fight. We just, we just did this 20 years ago. <laughs> we just did this goddamn thing 20 years ago. We lost millions of people. Significant portions of the country were turned into the goddamn moon. We've got bombs littered all over the countryside. We've got pockets of mustard gas. You put a shovel down, you might get your eyeballs blown out. We've got people languishing in hospitals because their lungs have been burned out by mustard gas. They're going to be there for the next 60 years. We've got war widows walking around holding invisible ghosts' hands by the millions. We've barely recovered from the boom and the bust of the Great Depression. And we just did this whole unbelievable sacrifice, the greatest sacrifice of any of the European nations in World War I, by far. It's fun to see Americans making fun of the French when America's never been invaded since Canadians went down to pick up some back bacon in 1812. So I just, I wanted to point out that it's really hard to talk about France and, oh, you know, they just surrendered. It's like, well, they didn't just surrender in World War I. And what the hell happened? They got their country shredded, their youth destroyed, their countryside denuded of value and plantability and basic ability to walk around it without fearing there's going to be a click and you're going to lose a leg or your life. They did this for, for, for four or five years. They fought this war, lost the flower of their youth, the future of their country, the possibility of their land. 
And then 20 years later, it's all starting again. Shit, I, I, I think I'd fold like an old, old shirt in the same situation. So I just, I just you know, the, the people who are like, oh, the French folded. It's like, Christ, England wasn't invaded in the First World War. America wasn't invaded in the First World War. Even Germany wasn't invaded in the First World War. And when the two when Germany did get invaded at the end of the Second World War, gosh, they didn't seem to be that keen on wars anymore either. And when Japan, which wasn't even invaded but was subdued by endless firestorm bombing and by two nuclear weapons, also became a little bit anti-war after the domestic population suffered to that degree. So I just wanted to point out that France is no exception when you have a brutal, ugly, terrible, terrifying destruction of millions war fought on your homeland, you're cured. You're cured of war fever. I just hope that there's not a complete eradication of the French spine. I'm, again, I'm sorry for that rant, but I just I really wanted people to understand that because it's become one of these running gags that is, uh, you know, the French martial spirit. I mean, the world was, hey, remember Napoleon? <laughs> Hey, remember all of that stuff? French martial spirit was, you know, French legionnaires. I mean, you see them coming. I mean, you shit your brain out and try to warp to another dimension because you're about to have a very, very bad day. I'll take the baguette early. Oh. So, yeah, I uh, I just really wanted to point that out because people don't understand that. Once America gets invaded and, and destroyed and, and mines left littered all through its countryside and the, the civilians are dead by the millions, okay, then they can start to bitch if they just come out of that perfectly fighting spirit utterly untouched. Uh, the, the, the wars used to happen far away. They used to happen far away and they used to be fought by professionals and civilians would never be involved except maybe you'd get some scumbags to rifle through the bodies of the dead looking for rings and copper coins. But war used to be fought a long way away. And um, as of the First World War, it wasn't. It was fought right in there with the people. And uh, as I've said before, when the women intensely suffer personally and vividly through war, war tends to end in that culture for at least a couple of generations. And as long as war is happening far away, everyone can romanticize it. But when it's happening right in your own home, right in your own backyard, then it's a whole different matter. And France, at least until Germany, in, the, uh, in, in 1945, France was fairly unique in Europe in its experience of having a four or five year bitter world war fought in its own country for the majority of it. And uh, the fact that they didn't have much oomph for it, the second round, uh, is entirely understandable. Okay, that's the end of, end of my rant, but I, I appreciate you guys listening. It was really nice, but uh, yeah, the, that's pretty much you summed it up. We don't teach people about that and force for example, a lot of the Muslim population, they just think that they're not French. They're more like Algerians and they don't really belong. They don't fit in and they feel more like they feel more Muslim than French. That's what's killing the country from inside. Now, the statistics that I guess I've mentioned around you know, 22 times or more the incarceration rate and, you know, massive consumption of welfare and um, and so on. Are these statistics that are at all discussed or known in, in the French media, French conversation, French culture? Um, for the incarceration, we have a huge problem because people are saying, well, well, putting them in prison and they come out and now they have criminal experience 
and our prisons are completely full. So, so like recently we we've had some guy, I think some rapists. He, um, there there was no room in the prisons, and the um, legal process was too slow. So they just freed the guy. They they let him go before his trial. Yeah, because you have a right to a, a reasonably speedy trial. And if that right can't be provided, the same thing happens in Detroit and other countries where the backlog is just too huge that the motion can be made to dismiss because the, the, the uh, you know, justice delayed is justice denied kind of thing. And um, I guess that's happening as well. Of course, right? I mean, the whole French legal apparatus was set up for people who weren't committing crimes at 22 times the rate. You know, like yeah. you have cancer wards that are set up not for 22 times the current amount of cancer patients. And if you have 22 times the amount of current cancer patients, they're not going to have a very good time of it because they won't be able to. You, you finally calibrate resources in your society to deal with a certain level of criminality. And if that criminality goes through the roof, the system can't work. Yeah. And in, in France, it's um, illegal to publish any statistics based on ethnicity. So basically, it's impossible to know. Uh, which ethnicity is concerned, you know. So um, uh, basically some researchers do research and publish statistics which are unofficial about which um, ethnicities are more concerned with violence and aggressive acts, but um, it's illegal to do it. But uh, some researchers published statistics, but it's not talked about in the media usually. And this, you know, I just, this, this is... This this is the real fascism to me. Like, it, it, oh, Le Pen, the fascists and so on. It's like, well, actually, not. Uh, I have not had a detailed review of their policies, but like some of the stuff does not seem outlandish to me, but that's neither here nor there at the moment. Oh, these guys are fascists. It's like, well, no, criminalizing people for pursuing facts, that seems kind of fascistic. And the same thing is happening in terms of political correctness all around the world. You know, there are people who believe that race is a social construct. That there's no physiological differences except for hair color, uh, hair texture, skin, you know, some inconsequential things like lip thickness or whatever it is. There are people who literally believe that race is almost entirely a social construct and they have no idea. Different numbers of, of twinning, uh, different sized brains, you know, that, that the physiology of the races is, is significantly different. And anybody who studies this is, well, you're automatically a racist. Anybody, like, automatically a racist. This is the real fascism. It has become a religion and a vicious religion. And I view the conflict in Europe at the moment as a conflict between the hysterical religion of the left and the hysterical religion of Islam. These are two religions that are currently in combat with each other. And the reason that I know that leftism is a religion is that there is hysterically anti-fact as certain sections of the Catholic Church was in the early Middle Ages. But if you studied the sun-centered model of the solar system, <gasps> right, you would be persecuted. It was wrong. It was heretical and all this kind of stuff. That is how you know there's a religion when people are pursuing important and relevant facts facts that are needed for people to make intelligent public policy decisions, people are studying facts. And they are persecuted and prosecuted for the pursuit of facts that are relevant, intensely relevant to some of the most pressing social issues of our time. Can't pursue facts, can't gather information, can't disseminate the truth, can't have an unbiased 
interpretation of reality or an unbiased examination or exploration of reality. So the left is as fascistic as they come. Wasn't there a guy, and this is off the top of my head, wasn't there a guy in France who was prosecuted for publishing a book on immigration? I'm not sure. It's possible, but um, I'm not sure. Yeah, the media wouldn't talk about that kind of stuff anyways. And that is, that is horrendous. Um, that is horrendous. The left's desire to scrub all cultural groups of any potential differences is hysterical and insane and malevolent to the nth degree. Because without information, how on earth are people supposed to make decisions? Well, of course, they're not supposed to make decisions. They're supposed to be frightened of being called racists and cowtown to whatever the leftist horde want them to do. Yeah. yeah. And I think um, uh, that's why we, we can see now like um, a chasm between the media and the French people because the French people realizes that what the media talks about isn't true or is um, malevolent or is not true. And so like the French people try to find... Uh, real statistics and real uh, to understand what's going on because they don't trust the media anymore. I think there's a gap between the media and the French people. At the Good. Moment. Good. I mean, to me, one of the great, one of the great dark places in the world is the shadow cast between the people and the truth. Uh, the media is like, they're actively brain blocking people's pursuit of necessary truths. Uh, it is a giant propaganda war. It's not conscious. I mean, it's just, it's the natural result of, of our selected uh, lefty nonsense. But, um, of course, the left always accusing the right of being anti-science because, I don't know, the skeptical of global warming. It's like, I don't know, what's more, tr what's more proven? Racial, biological differences or computer models of what the weather's going to be like in 50 years? Ha! Huh! I wonder which one might be just a little bit more scientifically proven and valid. The leftist is hysterically anti-science, far more so than the right. I actually have more respect for somebody on the right who thinks that the world is 6,000 years old rather than somebody on the left who simply wishes to examine biological differences between the races, which are kind of important when you want to put a whole bunch of different ethnicities and races together. Bridget Bardot. <laughs> You knew that I was going to say that next, right? <laughs> kind of. Bridget Bardot. Uh, she's a sex kitten, I think was the phrase that was yeah. used in the 60s. She was, don't look at a picture of her now. Uh, she, yeah. looks like, like, she looks like a Madame Tussauds wax figure that's been left on the surface of Mercury for about a week. But um, Bridget Bardot has been arrested and prosecuted for inciting racial hatred five times in just 10 years. In 1997, first offense using a newspaper column to complain of the foreign overpopulation of France. In 2000, she was convicted of having written in her book Pluto's Square that, quote, My country, France, my homeland, my land is again invaded by an overpopulation of foreigners, especially Muslims. In 2004, she was found guilty for having published another book, A Cry in the Silence, in which she established a generalized link between Islam and the terrorist attacks that took place on 11 September 2000. And one arrested and prosecuted for writing about her concerns about an overpopulation of foreigners in her country. Dragged off and prosecuted. That is fascism, my friends. There's no such thing as hate speech. There is the issuing of threats, 
which is and has always been illegal under common law and is rightly reviled and, and prosecutable by the state. You know, you can't go around saying, I think that so-and-so should be killed, or like, this is wrong, that is wrong, absolutely. But saying that you feel that there are too many Muslims in your country, how on earth is that something that you drag someone off and prosecute them for? Well, because she's a heretic. In the sagging, overpopulated, hysterical, God spare me from triggers, cathedral of leftist retardation. She is a heretic in the religion of the left. And there's no other way to look at it. And then the left who prosecute an elderly movie actress for talking about a France that she loves and grew up in. The left who prosecutes somebody for expressing their opinion about public policy dares to call Le Pen fascistic. I mean, it is madness at every conceivable level. Yeah, that's um, the consequences of uh, what we call May 68, which was kind of what started the wave of really uh, liberal leftism in France, which it started up. Be- it started up because some male students in a university wanted to be in the same dorms as the female students. <laughs> right. and, and then I, I remember having up, exactly that same impulse when I was in college. <laughs> and it ended up being a a protest uh, for freedom of the media because the media wasn't free at the time, which was kind of understandable. And after that, we started going really on. We started saying, well, freedom of speech is great, but we we are not sure anymore. And then we we created something called uh, Law Gesso. It's a law that says that racism is saying, I mean, being racist is illegal, obviously, and saying that the Holocaust wasn't as bad as it was is also illegal and you can be prosecuted and you have a huge fine. And there's the sexism and there's, and it's a bunch of laws like that, which completely, um, well, it kind of takes away freedom of speech pretty much. And People say that it's not that bad, but I still think it's a huge problem. Oh, it has a huge chilling effect because it's not an objective law. Yeah. I mean, if someone offers a de- if someone publishes a death threat against someone, that's an objective situation. Yeah. It has a huge chilling effect because people avoid the topic as a whole because they have no idea what is legal or illegal in this situation. And most people, of course, don't want to sit there spending hundreds of thousands of euros in five years of their life fighting a law that has no objective definition. It has a huge chilling effect, and that's exactly what it's designed to do. It's just designed to have people say, okay, I've got my choice of topics. I'm just not going to choose this one because, you know, why bother? And what the hell is it going to change? And everyone's going to think I'm a racist, and I'll never get a job. And all oh, right. Yeah. yeah, but now that we're getting the, the consequences of that movement, and people are starting to literally insult that movement, saying that it was the worst thing that, ever happened to France. 
and to my opinion it's it's pretty bad it's pretty pretty it's very bad honestly and now we're st- we're starting to get groups uh, that are completely against that movement and they're being called fascists obviously because uh, now we also have something that's starting to die off now called the Antifa which is anti-fascists which is pretty funny because you can't say oh uh, I'm against anti-fascists because that would imply that you are a fascist right <laughs> so it's it's completely ridiculous and if you're it's basically if you don't agree with them they punch you in the face and I've known some and they're really active in Paris yeah and and you know it is it is the depressing thing to see yeah that when when you have some understanding of of social movements that when the mob is in the grip of a hysteria for which there are rewards for following the mob and punishments for deviating from the mob the vast majority of people just flow into the borg brain and just go with like like leaves on a stream they just flow wherever the mob takes them and it is horrible and depressing sometimes to realize that a philosopher or a thinker, a moralist, is, is sort of in the position of a 17th century doctor when confronted with a fever. You know, we, we think we have these antibiotics, you know, we have this reason and evidence and we talk to people and bring the facts to bear and have an honest conversation and so on. And you think you're speaking to someone rational and they just begin screaming and throwing things at you and refusing to engage in a rational discussion. And they've been programmed and propagandized into simply rejecting reason and evidence like all good religious adherents. They simply rail against and reject any reason and evidence that goes against their particular prejudice. They are the bigots, right? They claim about racism and bigotry. They are the bigots because they won't listen to reason and evidence and they scream at anyone who brings reason and evidence to bear on the topic. And when I was younger, I thought, ah, you know, I have the antibiotics to help with the fever. I have, I don't just have to sit there like I'm in some Jane Austen novel, apply cold compresses, hold someone's hand and pray that they get better, which is, and what we have to do mostly is we have to simply let the disease run its course and cross our fingers. Mm. Because it seems that, that, culture as a whole in the West has moved so far beyond the strictures and limitations and humanization of reason and evidence. The culture has moved so far away from that, that even if you have a cure for the disease, nobody even thinks that they're sick. And in fact, they think that when you call them sick and they have a disease and you have the cure, that you are the disease and you're trying to poison them. So we are effectively, we have been reduced to 17th century doctors when faced with a fever that basically all we all we can say is there's nothing practical we can do other than sit and wait and hope yeah well said well said i just want uh, one last question if you guys don't mind and i, I really really appreciate obviously your, your thoughts and, and feedback on this issue. How is this for you guys in terms of your personal life and your thoughts about your future and you know, getting married or your career and kids and, and, and 
what kind of life and what kind of society and what kind of culture your kids are going to grow up in. Um, how's this landing for you guys at a more personal level? Uh, if at all. I mean, I want to sort of lead, you, lead you into saying something. On my end, I don't have much family, but I've been thinking at first maybe joining the military now, but I thought nah, that's not going to help, but maybe join um, the Army Reserve or um, maybe join um, GIGN, which is the equivalent of the SWAT, pretty much, which is what uh, killed the terrorists yesterday. Full K response. (laughs) Right. Um, I used to work for the Ministry of Defense in France. So I've seen um, military uh, person and soldiers working and I hated it. And that's why I left. Um, But um, in my personal life, I think it just makes me more resolute to fight against um, extremism in general and trying to um, start a life and to find good people around you and to build a strong environment where you can just um, uh, blossom and just you know be careful about the people you have around you and try to build a very strong environment and I think that's the best you can do because I don't think there's nothing else you can do uh, to save the other people. Like the fever has to run its course kind of thing? Yeah, exactly, yeah. Been a long fucking fever, I'll tell you that. Yeah, no, no, but the thing is, I've tried to speak to so many people at um, university and it hasn't worked, actually. So I've got tired of it. And actually, you should. And it doesn't almost feel sometimes like you dry, like if you speak to them about reason and evidence, they, they further harden and polarize. It's almost like you're doing something that, that, that drives them further away from any possibility yeah. for rational Absolutely. communication. Exactly. And it's so frustrating. And I think I was in a dead end. And I think your show helped me a lot in that because I was getting frustrated and angry and I couldn't find any solution. And that's why your show helped me a lot because it helped me to grow myself and to you know, know myself more. And I think it helped me to build a very strong environment where I can be myself. And yeah, and that's it. What about uh, dating, marriage, kids, that kind of stuff? Uh, I, I don't How many know French women marriage. would date you if they knew that you were talking like this? That's my question. No, it's impossible. <laughs> Really? Nah, that bad? It's impossible. I, I think it's hard because, like, if you're used to speak your mind, um, French people are very cautious and they don't like to speak frankly and bluntly. So if you start speaking your mind, it makes people uncomfortable in a way and unease. So we may not like it uh, so much. And um, so I think, and I think it's hard to be successful in the French society. If you have strong libertarian beliefs, I think so. I just, uh, when I was in, when I was last in Paris some years ago, I was there on business before I did this show. And um, actually, it was a diversity conference, believe (laughs) believe it or not, back in the day. (laughs) And um, my neighbors at the time knew knew a woman in in France, uh, in Paris, and she has sort of agreed to take me around for the day. And we had a really nice day. And then we had a dinner party. And I started bringing out some libertarian thoughts and ideas. 
don't know if you've seen the movie Borat, where he comes down with his yeah. shit in a bag. <laughs> but the, <laughs> the reaction of people uh, at the table when I started talking about, you know, gosh, it seems really hard to fire people. And, you know, like a lot of taxes. And you guys ever, you know, there was a bit of a republic in the past, in the smaller government and so on. It was like, like I'd come down like Borat with a piece <laughs> with my shit in my own bag saying, I don't know, do you flush it here or not? Right. And uh, that I remember thinking like, oh, man, like how much suffering is there going to have to be before people just are curious about ideas? You know, like the funny thing is, like I had this guy on the show recently had a had a rational and pleasant discussion about the flat earth. I don't know if you guys listen to the show. <laughs> I listen to it, yeah. Okay. So, so I mean, the people are like, well, why would you do that? It's like, why as a doctor would you go to an ER? It's like, because that's where people are bleeding the most. So, <laughs> why would you talk to someone who's irrational if you're a philosopher? Because his brain is bleeding out and you yeah. want to help him. Anyway, and, and other people, you know, who may be being pulled towards this black hole of a 32-mile-across sun that's a few thousand miles up that mysteriously doesn't get smaller when it goes thousands of miles away. Anyway, so I can have, like, a rational and, I thought, pleasant and positive discussion about something which I consider as literally mental as the flat earth theory. Yet you talk to people about, say, voluntary solutions to healthcare or, or charity or anything like that. And they literally, like, they literally seize up. And, and this is, this kind of hysterical religiosity and paranoia and, and tendency towards fascism and hostility, this is mirrored. Like, this is, French culture cannot fight the Muslims, because it has a similar level of hysterical superstition. This is like these two sides is like mirrors, right? It's like these cat videos you see on the internet. My daughter quite likes them, where the, the cat starts attacking the mirror. This is why, because they have surrendered to this politically correct orthodox religion, they cannot fight another religion that is more certain than theirs. You can only fight superstition with reason and leftist political orthodoxy and fear and hostility and ostracism and attack for anybody who has a different opinion of yours, regardless of that. You know, this is one of the reasons why I did the flat earth conversation is I can then point to people who get angry at my ideas and say, oh, I can talk for an hour in a perfectly reasonable and positive way with someone who's a flat earth believer, but you can't even listen to the possibility of a private and voluntary society? Are you kidding me? Oh, that's because it's crazier than the Flat Earth Society. Okay, enjoy your Muslim overlords, douchebags. <laughs> Still haven't talked to me about dating. Are you guys completely cock-blocked by having a rational thought in your head? Well, I certainly don't talk about... I mean, if I told people I was a monarchist, I would get shouted at, so... Minarchist? Monarchist? Monarchist. Like, want a king and queen? Yeah. Okay. I don't really believe in the the good ways of the republic, but then... Oh, so you like someone who at least has to hand the kingdom to his kids so he's not going to indebt it too much? Yeah, it's more like... uh, Instead of fighting over left and right, you're more like not fighting and focusing focusing on the national sovereignty if that makes sense like you're no, just I, it's, carrying i just yeah sorry to interrupt but i just, I just 
I just had the thought that, of course, if there was a king still in charge of France, I don't think there'd be six and a half million Muslims in the country he was handing to his kids. Good luck, kids. Yeah, <laughs> I'm dying. Okay. Because now right. we have people like, it's kind of monarchs, but they know they're going to leave and leave a load of shit behind them for the next guy. It's right. Really yeah, because the, when, when there was a king and queen, the, the kingdom was private property, so to speak. Yeah. Whereas now it's public squatting. And so nobody paints the walls or gets rid of the roaches. Oh, exactly. I just meant that in an analogous way. I'm not talking about human beings. <laughs> Always got to be careful. And it's, I'll say one last question. Uh, sorry, did you? I don't think I heard from. No, not Guillaume. Yeah. Yeah. Guillaume, what are your thoughts on this issue? Are you just, are you currently looking on like hot French libertarian women dating site? Is there, is that dot com or dot yeah, 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 yeah. It's dot uh, <laughs> fr, dot france better. <laughs> dot gone, yeah. right. I'm the only one person there. No, no, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> it's, right. it's just sort of a masturbation site. Right. Yeah, okay. exactly. Um, Man, I look great today. <laughs> yeah, I think I will. Yeah. Right, um, I think in terms of dating, it's, um, it's hard because if you want to be frank about your beliefs, it's, it's, it's hard because um, French women are very politically correct and they like to invest themselves in, you know, NGOs and charities and all that. And so it's hard if you speak your mind and being um, a free market guy, um, you're seen as the devil in a way, you know? Right. Is there any part of you that's not seen as the devil? Yes, there is. There is actually, yeah. So because I'm, I'm a teacher, so when I teach and if I don't preach libertarianism, it's fine because people can like me. But uh, if, if I start speaking about my beliefs, uh, people might see myself in a different way. Right. You know, on my end, I just say the word Roy, um, the word monarchist, and I get shouted at. Shouted at. Right. Right. Well, of course, you know, you, you might as well say, I, uh, I don't know, I want, I want the Pope to run my uh, medical treatment. <laughs> people don't. Yeah. I guess some people would believe that even more so. Yeah. And and what about the euro as a whole, or, or the European Union as a whole? Do you have any idea where French people how, how they feel about that? Because isn't there some belief, of course, that the refugees are partly coming in because of arrangements uh, in the uh, EU? Yeah, so I think it might change because uh, we have in Europe the Schengen area, which um, so people can cross the borders uh, without um, policemen at the borders. And I think it might change. And after the events yesterday, uh, France closed its borders. So it might be the first step preventing immigrants and people from coming in, I guess. And Sweden has done the same thing. I think they've closed their borders too. So I think it might be the beginning of maybe the end of the Schengen area in Europe. Oh, my God. This closing the borders thing, I can't tell you. Oh, Oh my God. I can't tell you. Hey, you know, it's not a great idea to let all these people in. You know, you might not want to. That would be totally wrong. We can't close the borders. That would be totally. Oh, my God, something happened. Quick, close the border. Like, with no reference to the fact that people have been saying this for years. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> anyway, that way madness lies. I must massage my Klingon forehead so that it does not burst with incoherent and futile rage. Anyway. So, uh, yeah, it's interesting how with this kind of stuff, uh, nationalism comes back, <laughs> so yeah. to speak. And, uh, you know, I mean, I'm an anarchist, so nationalism and me are uh, not exactly 
hunky dory, but uh, that's you know, legal systems around the world. You know, anarchists are not huge fans of them, but any any sane person is 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 happy to go through a common law legal system than a Sharia legal system. I mean, the fact that there's things that you disagree with around the world doesn't mean that they're all equally disagreeable. You know, uh, I mean, I would not like to eat a monkey brain, and I'm not a big fan of eggplant. But if I have to choose between the two, I'll take the eggplant. Thank you very much. <laughs> so, All right. Is there anything else you guys wanted to uh, add? Uh, was this an uh, interesting or useful chat for you guys? Yeah, it was great. Thanks a lot for giving us the, the chance to speak about it. Yep. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, if we get any communication from women who look like Jessica Rabbit but are pure K, <laughs> <laughs> should we pass them along? Because, you know, hot young French guys, yeah. I've got to think. Especially if one of them can pass a medical exam, which I think about four people in America, like to get into the military, I think about four people in America can still do that. Oh, wait. <laughs> Sorry, they're all in prison. Oh, wait. They'll take them too. But uh, all right, we'll forward that along. Um, yeah. You know, please keep the lines of communication open. Uh, oh, did anything happen? Didn't they evacuate the Eiffel Tower today? Is that cooled off? Or um, I read I... just before the show that wound up being a false alarm. They okay, that, good. So. Just probably a hoax or a threat. Okay. Yeah, keep us posted. Listen, you guys are welcome back on the show anytime. It was a huge pleasure uh, to chat with you. I'm, of course, immeasurably glad that you're safe. And um, my heart really, really goes out, of course, to all the victims of this war. My heart goes out to the Muslims who are getting blown up. My heart goes out to the French people who are getting slaughtered like pigs in a darkened theater. And um, we've really got to stop spending the rest of our goddamn existence trying to dig our way out of these piles of bodies like reanimated zombies under a Holocaust pile. Uh, And hopefully people can control their anxiety, control their specifically programmed panic reactions to basic facts and truths and find a way to have rational discussions based on reason and evidence about these issues. Boy, you know, you think it's uh, scary to have a rational discussion with someone who you find offensive, even though they may have the facts. Uh, It's a lot more uncomfortable to be scrambling and hiding in a theater while people gun you down slowly. Uh, Let's take the lesser of two evils and have uncomfortable conversations rather than end up with bullets in our spines. So thanks so much, everyone, for the show tonight. A bit of a shorter show, but um, been working for the last two days straight on all this uh, stuff. So I'm going to call it a night. Uh, Thank you so much, uh, you guys, uh, for um, your conversation, Guillaume and Tiago. A real pleasure to chat with you guys. Stay safe. That doesn't necessarily mean stay indoors, but uh, stay safe and stay in communication with us if you can. And uh, to all of our uh, French listeners out there, my heart goes out to you. Um, I have a huge amount of uh, sympathy and respect for France, mostly because of my last name, Molyneux, which uh, it's always fun to hear American Molyneux, Molyneux. No, I don't. I like the Americans too. But uh, have yourselves a wonderful evening, everyone. And um, in these dark times, let us remember that the love and happiness and joy and passion that we can bring to our life is the best thing to do in the face of the evil that attempts to occlude the happiness of our lives by passing the dark shadows of grim behavior between what we want and who we are. So that way, madness and a shadow with no bottom lies. We step over it and continue our lives and respect the blood of the dead by refusing to add to it 
and by having our own pump even further in the ventricles of passionate advocation for reason and morality in the future. Thank you, everyone, so much. Have a wonderful, wonderful night. I'll talk to you soon.